that song just bring a lot of confidence to you? Doesn't it just kind of, it just, as you sing it, you know, God knows everything about you. He hears you. He listens. He loves you. Justice is a rare commodity in our world. When I think about the scriptures and how I've read them over and over again, and you see the cry for relief, you see the cry for justice, you see the cry for deliverance in the scriptures that God's people are often crying out for. I think of the places that I've been. I was just telling somebody about this this week earlier, where my sons and I were, when they were just little, I wanted them to go. I wanted them to be there with me and to see. And a hundred children a day. That's what we were burying because of starvation. Children like your son that's leaving the sanctuary right now, which he's not bothering anybody. You can keep him in here. You don't worry about that. Children running around in the snow, in the mountains, without adequate clothing, no food. And everything we could get to them, we were doing. It was all because of a war. It was all because of a war that was going on between two nations, and these people were just regular people like you and me. Got trapped on the wrong side of the mountains, couldn't get back into their country. And through the years, because of the ongoing war, the suffering the, the abuse became terrible. I remember asking questions, why isn't somebody doing anything? Why isn't the government's doing anything about this? Why isn't this getting the attention of the United Nations? Why isn't this getting the attention of the news in the United States? Why is it CNN here? There were no cameras. And I thought of all the places in the world where I bumped into reporters for stories much less significant. One of my dearest and closest friends, retired journalist. And it's because of who they were. They were not an important people group. And sometimes you find yourself reading the Bible and you read those cries how long, Lord? How long, Lord? How long? You've read it already so many times as we've read the book of Revelation. The martyrs crying out, how long, Lord? And maybe you've cried that out before and maybe sharing in the book of Revelation and sharing perhaps this story tonight. We're kind of ashamed of ourselves because our plight is nothing like the plight of others in the world tonight. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 9 and verse 4, God says, Walk through the streets of Jerusalem, speaking to an angel, and put a mark on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins being committed in their city. As we get ready to read Revelation 15, there's a dramatic shift that's going to be taking place. But this chapter, it's a short chapter, but it's an important transitional chapter because we've read all of these how long questions and we've addressed them. But you can't read it and just go, oh, that's way off in the future. You have to understand that this has a message for every generation of Christians that have ever lived. And do we weep and do we sigh? Saturday night here, we did something that we've not done before in our Saturday night prayer meeting. We spent the bulk of our time just weeping over the abortion, over the actual cry from New York and Virginia for infanticide. And there's no other way to describe that. When a, a Virginia legislator stands up and is asked, does this bill allow for an abortion 
right when the mother's dilating and ready to give birth, and you could tell she didn't want to answer it, about seven or eight seconds goes by, and so he presses it again, and she goes, there is nothing in this bill that would prohibit that. And then the next day, Virginia's governor is defending that and saying, after the child is born, we'll keep the child comfortable while the doctor and the parents decide what to do. Friends, that, for me to even say those words is just so chilling to me tonight. I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's just chilling. I watch the celebration in New York. I couldn't help but cry, and I, I had to just get a hold of myself before the Lord. I, I got in last night because of some issues that I've been helping with, and I could feel my, sometimes you know how you'll get in a spiral and you just need to go talk to the Lord. I says, Becky, you know, we have grown up. I said, we grew up, we came, you and I came to age during the Watergate scandal when H.R. Haldeman lied. And although he gave his heart to Christ at a complete 180 and accomplished so much good with his life, Chuck Colson lied, the president lied. I can remember just because it's how you were raised to respect, you know, just being shocked that our president had lied to us the way he had. And then it wasn't long before we just started discovering the adults that we had grew up respecting that weren't always walking their walk with Christ. And then it was the Jimmy Swaggart scandals and the Jim Baker scandals and the lies that were being told. I remember Oral Roberts climbing up. At, Oral Roberts laid handles on me as a child and prayed for me. My parents had a great deal of respect for him. Later, I became acquainted with one of his vice presidents and then with his daughter-in-law. And he crawled up in that prayer tower and said if God told him that if we didn't send him so many million dollars, he was going to die. You remember that? It was all over the news. Fortunately, you know, God didn't kill him. But I remember, I can see myself pulling up into our driveway and going, oh God, what disgrace to your name. What manipulation. I remember Oliver North. I wanted to believe him, but Oliver North lied to us. You know, who, would, who didn't want to believe Oliver North? He looked like your all-around American good guy, and it may have been for a good reason, but it was still a lie. And that tainted President Reagan. And so Sunday morning, my message will be one of the reasons that the early church was so powerful was because of the presence of God living in them and their presence in the community. And so we're going to talk about presence and integrity Sunday morning. But this chapter brings us to that point where we have to think about the how longs and that God is a God of justice. And justice is something we should long for. Justice is something we should want. Justice is something that we're afraid of because we were all sinners. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, all of us would be lost. And so tonight as we go to this chapter, I want to, you to realize what a rare commodity justice is in our world. You may find a lot of fault, and thank you, Pastor Rick, for what you said about our nation tonight. You may find a lot of fault with our nation, and there's a lot of fault to be found. But I'm going to tell you, you and I have a greater access to justice in this nation than most of the people that I've worked with around the world. We have a lot wrong in our nation. I just described something that I think is, is not only abhorrent, but is inviting the judgment of God upon our nation. But still, when you go to other parts of the world, It's still a great country, and we have a great liberty and a freedom to study the Word tonight. So I'm going to ask you if you would, first of all, let me give you your next fill-in, and then I think it'll help you understand Romans 15. We live with conviction that God's justice will prevail. 
we live with conviction, and there should be a word that there. That's my bad, not the person who typed these notes for me. We live with conviction that God's justice will prevail. So would you stand with me and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, until we've been wrong, we probably don't think a lot about justice. Until we've been injured, until we've had our rights deprived, until we've been persecuted by our faith. Lord, for every one of us, for every one of us that have experienced any persecution for our faith, we're probably just one in a million that have experienced the kind of persecution, laughter, mockery. But Lord, for every million, there's at least one major martyr for the cause of Christ. We see that happening across Asia and the Middle East right now. We saw that happen in the Philippines just recently, Lord. And so tonight, in the name of Jesus, as I come to you, and believing that your return is imminent, knowing that this time that we're going through the book of Revelation is so important, I ask you to give us eyes to see with and ears to hear with. The Lord, from the persecution of those first believers to those in the circuses of Nero, Lord, to the Protestant martyrs, to the missionary martyrs around the world. God, to write down to this day people who are literally having to give their life just for the privilege of confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I ask you to make us among that group of faithful intercessors. God, that do more than pray about our own safety, our own security, our own health, our own prosperity, but that we join ranks, O oh Lord, with those who are overcoming the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And I pray now for your direction as we study this chapter together, for it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Now, out of respect for God's Word, if you will remain standing and we'll read Revelation 15 together. Then I saw in heaven a, another marvelous event of great significance. Now, this is the third of three great significant events. The first was the woman giving birth to the child. I preached through that one. The second was of the great dragon trying to, to, to consume the child. And now you're reading the third and the final great significant event to take place. So then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues which would bring God's wrath to completion. In other words, the full anger of God is about to be poured out. That's what you're reading about here. Don't mistake that. That's, uh, the only way you can start to think about that is how when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of the Garden of Eden because their sin brought all of humanity under the judgment of sin. To think about the flood when only Noah and his family survived. And now there's about to be this third great revealing of God's wrath. And I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire. And on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and the statue and the number representing his name. Now, you remember we talked about the mark of the beast and how those that wouldn't take the mark couldn't buy or sell. They were going to be persecuted. Many would become martyrs. These people are in heaven now. That's what you're seeing. They have overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. They've been victorious. They laid down their lives to become victorious. They were not defeated in death. They overcame the enemy in death. That's what you're reading here. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And you've read that before. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. In other words, the prayer of how long is being answered. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. 
Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. And all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Now, that's not universalism, because all of the, the, we've been real clear as we've gone through what's going to happen to those that reject Christ. But out of every nation, tongue, and tribe, there will be those that will confess Christ as Lord that will be in heaven. And then I looked and saw the temple in heaven. God's tabernacle was thrown wide open. And the seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chest. And then one of the four living beings handed each of the silver angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. Now, you see that word bowl. You can circle that after you're seated. But you've seen that word used in context with the prayers of God's people, the intercession of God's people. All this is coming together now, and I hope to be able to help you to see that tonight. God bless you. You can be seated this evening. It's a short chapter, but such an important connecting chapter between all that we've studied about the 144,000 what we've studied thank you sweetheart and what we've understood what we've studied about the mark of the beast and the 666 what we've studied about the all those trumpets that we've looked at now we're coming down where the final story is being written before the new heaven and the new earth We've seen the Word of God being preached in Revelation 4 and 5. We've seen the table or the communion table that you and I come to where we partake of the Lord's body and His, His shed blood. We've seen that in the book of Revelation because we feed upon the Lamb. It's not talking about cannibalism, but feeding upon Him. But now what you're seeing is the symbolism of baptism. And, of course, you know right here behind this screen is our baptism is our baptistry where we baptize people. And baptism, that sea of glass mixed with fire, that's a new image for us. We, we're used to seeing the sea of glass. As a matter of fact, in my personal devotions this morning, I came in the book of Exodus where Moses took the, some of the elders up on the, the mountain and, and there they could see the feet of God. It was talking about how that, that like a blue sea, a blue glass that he was upon, that the feet of the Lord was upon. They couldn't see him, but there was that much that they could see until Moses entered the cloud. And this baptism is a, is a huge thing to think about. We're not looking at the lake of fire. We're looking at the glory of God, and we're looking at the people of God standing before the glory of God. What happens when you get baptized? It's just, this is a symbol. Remember, we've talked about this. Revelation is full of so many symbols, symbols but once you understand them, the, the chapters and the books, they all make sense, and they come together, and you just don't have to get weird with it. It's just, and that's the problem that I think happens when you watch specials about revelational TV from the Discovery Channel or the Science Channel, and I'm not knocking those channels, but when you have unbelievers and professors that don't even believe in the inspiration of the Word of God being interviewed as though they're great authorities, they may be great authorities as archaeologists, they may be great authorities as Semitic scholars, but they're not people who have confessed Christ as their Savior, and oftentimes they're just trying to dismiss this as a book of myths. But for the Christian, we understand that that baptism that happened at the flood where sin died, where, where God started all over with Noah and his family, that baptism that happened when the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea and Pharaoh's soldiers were, were buried underneath the sea, that baptism when they crossed the Jordan into after uh, when they entered the Promised Land, that baptism that happened there, the baptism that John the Baptist was preaching, it always had to do with the confession of sin and repentance of sins. Jesus, though he had not sinned, he said to, in order to fulfill the law. So John baptized him. And then, of course, you and I, when we are baptized, you know, because Pastor Rick has taught you this in a baptism class, and that is that when you go under the water, it's the symbolism of dying to your old death of sin, your old way of life, and coming up out of the waters is coming to your new life. And here you see these believers standing on the sea of glass, and they're worshiping. And here's something, this, the whole book has been about worship, and that's what I've kept trying to bring you back to, is to understand 
If you're going to read Revelation, you can't read it trying to pick out signs and symbols to predict the day Jesus is going to come or to predict when the Antichrist is going to appear. That's not the way you read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is all about the worship of our Father which is in heaven. Can you say amen to that? And so we worship with confidence like the early church did through life's trials. We worship with confidence through life's trials. This church, these seven churches that John was writing to were suffering and going through trials. Some of them were not suffering as much as others, but because of their prosperity, because of their ease of life, they were challenged to stir up their first works and remember them and to love the Lord again. Look at these, three, uh, these two verses from Revelation 15. We just read them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. Circle that in your outline. I've underlined it for you, but just circle that. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you? Who will not fear you, Lord? Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy? Remember what Jesus told the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? There is none good but the Father. And there was this whole, the rich young ruler trying to justify himself and to say why he didn't uh, need to, to do anything else. But Jesus put his finger on what was wrong. He says, all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous deeds have been revealed. What's he saying? The prayers of all of those saints that have been saying, how long, Lord? How long do you avenge our blood? How long must we suffer? How long must we? There are believers praying that tonight. You and I are not praying that unless we're just really longing for the Lord's return. But there are believers tonight, they're praying because they're having to meet secretively. They're praying tonight because some of their family members have been imprisoned and tortured and killed for naming the name of Jesus. There's a lady right now in Afghanistan that people are rioting in the streets because they want her dead because of her confession of Jesus Christ. And what just drives me bananas with some of these stories is that American blood and American tax dollars and American soldiers are fighting and dying in some of these lands and they want to kill people who confess the name of Jesus. It's like when we went to the first war in Iraq when Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait and we used Saudi Arabia as a, as a landing zone. Saudi Arabia did not want our soldiers to bring Bibles with them because they didn't want Bibles on their soil. Friends, things have intensified so much more since then. Some things that I can't even talk about because of the committees that I serve on that believers are experiencing tonight. And so I'm calling us as we look at this that we'll begin to pray for the persecuted church and we'll begin to pray for those who are martyrs and we'll begin to thank God for how good we have it and then ask God, what do you want to do with the freedom you've granted us? What do you want to do with the prosperity you've granted us? What do you want to do, Lord, with the knowledge you've granted us? There are people who still don't have Bibles and I bet in every home in this congregation there's more than one Bible in that house. We've got men's Bibles, women's Bibles, youth Bibles, children's Bibles. We've got study Bibles. We've got comic book Bibles. We've got Bibles for new believers, old believers. We've got uh, patriotic Bibles. I just recently went through Amazon looking at all the ways they're trying to market the Bible. Friends, we just need the Word of the Lord. And we've got all of these things if we'll just pour our hearts into study. And I'm not knocking those. I have used several study Bibles. I love them. But when I read this, what I hear God saying to the church that was suffering then, and what I hear him saying to you and I tonight is, trust God's methods and trust God's timing. It may not make sense to you, but God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And there's a lot of times, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself second-guessing God. And you'll go, God, I don't like your methods. How many of you have joked with me and says, Pastor, when you pray for me, don't pray for patience? You know? 
How many of us have said, you know, I want to ask for something, but I'm afraid of how God... Don't be afraid. God's methods are always good. And God's timing is always good. God is not early. God is not late. But God is not on your schedule or my schedule. I mean, it's just, you got to know. And sometimes, listen to me. Because we're so used to living by the clock, and we're so used to appointments and schedules, and we've associated all of that with integrity. So Mary and Martha say, Jesus, come. He whom you love, not Lazarus, but he whom you love is dying. They know if Jesus comes, Lazarus is going to be okay. <laughs> Jesus goes, guys, he's sleeping. They go, oh, that's good. He's sleeping. And he goes, no, he's dead. Let's take a nap. We'll go later. Manana. I'm going to tell you, as a Westerner, in some of the cultures I've worked in, you say you're going to start service at 6 o'clock. They don't show up to 9 o'clock. As a Westerner who likes to eat no later than 6 o'clock, some of the cultures I've worked in, they don't eat till midnight. I'm going to tell you, I fast. <laughs> I can't, it's just, we have this this whole mentality. But I remember one night, Becky and I had to go to a dinner at midnight. I mean, I just sat there and I can tell you, she was wonderful company. And I let her just carry the bag. You know, I just, I fell asleep there. It just, at midnight. But we're so used to the way we do things that sometimes we think our methods are better You've got to trust God's timing, but you've got to trust God's methods. And so when God shows up, Mary and Martha kind of, they lied into Jesus. I mean, they're pretty close to Jesus. Have you ever lit into Jesus? Have you ever said, God, I don't understand. God, why don't you do this? Have you ever gotten angry with God? He's not going to zap you. If you have, hold up your hand. Say, yeah, the rest of you are lying. Now, you may get zapped for lying, okay? The rest of these people raise their hands. They're going to be okay. I remember hearing David Wilkerson say one time, he says, you're going to have to admit it when you're angry with God. David would admit it. Sometimes the prophets would admit it. Elijah one time went, I'm the only one. You ever felt like that? <laughs> I told you he should stay in church. You see, what I'm saying is, 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 God says to him, Elijah, I still got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee, bowed the knee to bell. You're not that big a deal, dude. <laughs> Jesus is the deal here. Trust his methods. Trust his, he, knew what he, was, he knew what he was doing for the early church. He knows what he'll be doing for the church today and for the church at the end time. Which leads me, I have to let God determine the outcome. When I work, when I minister, when I pray, when I witness, when I share my faith, when I give... When I preach a message, whatever you do, when you, whatever product you may work at helping assemble at an assembly plant, whatever you may do in your life, for your career, your vocation, the students you teach, you know, the job you have, your ministry, you've got to leave the outcomes in the hands of the Lord. We sow the seed, we cultivate, but the harvest all comes from God. Does that make sense to you? You leave, and it may look like it may look like God has abandoned his people, but they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And because they would not deny Jesus Christ, the gospel spread even more rapidly. Fox's Books of Martyrs, if you've ever taken time to read that, Dick, I think you and I have talked about it. You've read it before. One of those statements that I read was, my blood will cry out louder than any sermon I've ever preached. My blood will cry out louder. And you see, we understand those stories of martyrism. We understand what's happened there. You see, Revelation began with Jesus whom we worship. That's why they survived all of this. This, this whole book, this chapter takes you all the way back to the beginning. The reason they're dying, the reason they're overcoming, and we've, we've looked at this, there's been so much death. There's been so much destruction. There's been so... Paul, John was encouraging his congregation. Now, you've got... As a pastor, I see what he's doing right here. 
he's not going, you know what? Time's going to work it all out. He's not going, time's going to make it all better. He's not going, behind every cloud, there's a silver lining. He's simply saying, look, it's tough what we're going through right now. But when times are tough, that's when you lift your hands and worship. And if you read the little affirmation that I put on my Facebook and Twitter yesterday was that when you're confronted with evil, the best thing to do is to lift your hands and worship to the Lord. Because that, it's amazing to me how I've been going through and just connecting, lifting of hands with spiritual warfare. And it's that important we understand that Jesus is the key. Remember Revelation 1, I'm going to read four verses from Revelation chapter 1. I think these are in your outline. And standing in the middle of the lamp stands was someone like the Son of Man who was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white, white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet was like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hands, and the sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me, and he said, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last." Revelation begins with worship. And if you, if you remember, and I believe that Pastor Mark has put all of these online, you can go back to the very first message where I said, you can't understand this book unless you're a worshiper, unless you understand that what we're called to do is to worship the Lord. Revelation, the whole book, continues with God's people continuing to worship despite all of these things that are happening. In chapter 4 and verse 8 and 11, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who's still to come. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you've created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Friends, we're just getting started with the book of Revelation, and we're already reading about martyrs. We're reading about people who, who were thrown into prison. We're reading about people who were killed. We're reading about how Satan was allowed so much space to do what he was doing. But God's methods and God's timing were right. The church spread around the world. And God's methods in my timing, when I read this, God's methods and his timing in my life are right tonight. I was praying one time years ago, long before we ever moved up here. I just suddenly got seized. I was out running one day. And I was like, Lord, why did you heal some people instantly? Why do I know of people that I've even prayed for that have been healed instantly? Why did I have to go through so many surgeries? Why did I have to have broke hips broken? Why do I have missing organs? And why did you wait until I was a young man to touch me and heal me? And, and now I can walk and run. I can climb. Why? And that question, Becky and I would talk about it, the why. I called some of my prayer partners. This particular prayer partner is in heaven now, and I can't wait to see him. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit the year I was born. Just a great and a godly man. And I will never forget, he called me back and he says, Denny, I've been praying for you. I've been wrestling with that same. He said, I've often thought about that. He says, you're going to have to decide what to do with this. He said, but I just felt in my spirit that the reason that God took so long to heal you was because you would have been a very cocky man if he hadn't have taken that long. I was like, well, that's not the answer I was looking for. So I share it with Becky. She goes, oh, I think he's right. I share it with somebody else. They say, oh, I think he's right. I said, am I cocky? They go, no, but you would have been. God's, now, I still don't think they're right. I'm right. But my point, <laughs> that's cocky, right? My point is this. God's methods and God's timing, they're always right. You can trust him. You may feel like you're going through the furnace. You may feel like you're going through the fire. But if you can stand the pull and God will pull you through. If you can stand that pull and he'll pull you through everything in this life and he will accomplish something good and wonderful, what we have to do is to continue to worship and to trust him even when we don't understand. And there have been many times 
When I've said I don't understand. Revelation finishes. I mean, I'm jumping way ahead here, but just to, so that you can understand how this chapter 15 is such a connection point. Revelation finishes with a new heaven and a new earth that is nothing more than a sanctuary of worship. <coughs> Let me give you a little theology behind church, church architecture. Now, we don't do that so much in, in Protestant churches but back in the day when people were illiterate, the reason that they built churches and they took centuries, I mean, generations of families would build these cathedrals. And I know there was a lot of corruption that, that happened, but they were trying to tell the story of the Bible. They're, those stained glass were the movies of their day. They could look at those stained glass windows and they told a story. And there was so much that happened to tell it because people were illiterate. They couldn't read. It has been said by many, many scholars that if you went to England, if you went to England back in what we call the Middle Ages, the average peasant could tell you more theology than the average evangelical Christian could today. Because the average peasant couldn't read and couldn't write, but because they were totally surrounded all the time with symbolisms that taught them about the Trinity, taught them about baptism, taught them about the miracles of Jesus, taught them about the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the last judgment. They, they knew more theology, and yet they probably never wandered more than 35 miles from their homes or 50 miles from their homes because peasants didn't know horses and chariots. It's why the temple was so full of all of these spectacular things that you read about. If you really, and I didn't have time, we did Daniel, we did Revelation, but now you're at a point that those of you that have studied the book of Exodus, Exodus will help you understand Revelation. Because we're talking about a new heavens and a new earth, and you're going to see things from the book of Exodus right here in these final chapters of the book. That's why it's so exciting to me to study and to look at it. Oh, uh, let's look at this, and then I'll tell you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is from Revelation 21. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And then if you continue into, down to the end of the chapter, starting at verse 22, and again, I think this is in your outline, I saw no temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty, and I've got to remember, he's seeing through the perspective of a search as God's revealing this to him, He's seeing through that perspective of the first century. Remember, they still went to the temple and they still went house to house. The early church was primarily a Jewish church. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Remember in Matthew 24, Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon this. John knew that. By this time, the destruction of the temple had already taken place. They pulled down every stone. They burned it. They carted off all the gold. Becky and I have stood under the arch, the triumph arch in Rome where Titus came in and they've got a symbolism of them destroying uh, the temple and they've got the uh, menorah there uh, from the first century. By the way, it's right over the Apian Way where the messenger would have come from Caesar saying the whole world would be taxed to where Paul would have come back, back up that same Apian Way to preach the gospel to Caesar and be martyred there. That's where that, that arch is. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city. Remember the, the glass for the fire in it we were talking about just now. And the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day because there's night there. This is also means there's security. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will ever be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me a river with water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it flowed down the center 
of the main street, and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations, and no longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Does this sound anywhere close to what Eden was? For there was total unhindered fellowship between man and God, between Adam and Eve and God. There will be no gender war. There will be no race war. There will be no war. We will be in the presence of God forever. What man has not been able to accomplish through politics, war, economics, education, technology, or science, God has accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that's so we looked, it began, it continues, we end in worship. So what's the lesson to take away and, and, and the growth work here? God wants you and me to orient our lives in worship so we can see clearly. The early church did these things because they saw through to eternity. Their compass was fixed upon something. Their compass was fixed upon, if, it, if I could kind of use the points of the compass, their compass was fixed upon creation and covenant, between judgment and salvation. Creation and covenant. We see covenant all through the Old Testament. Jesus makes a new covenant with us. We celebrate it here at the table when we take communion each week. Judgment. The judgment of the world, we, I talked about those three significant signs. We talked about the waters of baptism, what that meant. Judgment, Christ took the judgment for our sins at Calvary. Amen? Amen? He was judged for our sins. He paid a price he didn't owe. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. That's what we're talking about. Salvation is that God to save us. He's prepared a place for us that we just read about. If you can think like a compass, those four concepts, you'll, the rest of Revelation will really begin to make sense to you. You won't find yourself getting off on all the weird stuff that people get on. But that's to help you live right now. You can understand if you're going through pancreatitis, if you're going through cancer, if you're going through a disability, if you're going through whatever you're going through, you can understand and you can see through to the end if you keep your eyes upon the Lamb. But if you get your eyes upon your circumstances, you're always going to fail. When you put your circumstances ahead of God, if you put God in first place, if you try to have a successful marriage without God, your marriage is going to suffer. If you try to raise your children without God, you're going to have family conflicts. If you try to build your business without God and you don't put God first in your business, it's true of pastors. Pastors and church leaders, they can kind of get it down and get a rhythm going where nobody prays. But if we seek the face of the Lord, we can expect to see clearly. We can expect to have discernment. But we can also expect the glory of God to be manifested among us. Amen? Well, let's give him a hand of praise for that. I could, I could go on and on with that. So what does he see? Then I looked and saw the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. And the seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple, and they were clothed in spotless white linen. We've already talked about what that meant. That's the righteousness given to us. The gold sashes across their chest. And one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God. This is the answer to the prayers of how long, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. Let me close this up before I do the growth work by helping you see God's judgments intensify. And honey, you can come on back up if you would. What we have seen is seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. We've seen a part of the earth, a third of the earth, and then all the earth. The reason we're seeing that is God is warning the earth of judgment, a partial judgment, and then a full judgment. That's what we're at, we're at now. Why? Because God's judgments are intense. God is trying to convict people and to bring them back to Him. He wants to, look at me, God wants to save people. There's no one that God wants to go to hell. People go to hell because they reject Christ. 
There's no universalism taught in the scripture. No universalism taught in the scripture. People go to hell because they reject Jesus. And some people go to hell thinking that they're the most religious people in the world. I fear for that. I deal with the holy things of God every day of my life, going into hospital rooms to pray with people, dealing with the word of the Lord, taking communion to people, praying for the sick. God, don't ever let it become mechanical. Don't ever let it become mechanical. And there's always that temptation. You can become mechanical in your marriage. You can become mechanical with your devotions. You want to stay close. Worship is what keeps our hearts tender. Worship is not coming. A part of worship is making our requests known. But we don't just recite a list of prayer requests. We come in and we worship. How great is our God? How great are you, Lord? You love me. I'm amazed by that. Oh, God, you saved my neighbor. You saved my friend. Lord, you healed this member. This member, Lord, who went to heaven. I know they died in faith. Tonight, I had a short meeting with someone that's unchurched. I shared with them a story of someone giving their heart to Jesus in the evening and then the next morning dying in an accident. But they gave their heart to Jesus and went to sleep that night. And this man looked at me and says, I have got goosebumps all over me just hearing that story. I said, and that can happen to you because Jesus, when you see life through worship, then you can bury a hundred children a day and cry out, God, this is wrong. I want to be a part of the answer. I want to be a part of the solution. I want my boys to see this so they never forget. And you advocate for them and you fight for justice for them and you call the powers out. Your pastor had an arrest warrant issued on him for calling out the warrant. I was taken to jail for that. Because there's some people that don't want the truth known. Sometimes you've got to be bold enough. You've got to be bold as a lion. And you've got to trust God's methods and God's timing. I've never been so grateful to be an American because in that nation it meant something. But for those people who didn't have a nation that could stand up for them and those children... They were the victims of injustice. But we planted a church. We built a hospital. We built a radio station. And the church is still going there. That's the reason that it makes me so furious in my spirit when I listen to Namby Pamby Christians making an excuse. We do not understand the power of God that is available to people with pure hearts. There's nothing impossible to you in Jesus' name when you want to do His will, not my will, but thy will be done. I want to tell you something. That was not a part of the world we wanted to be in. But judgments intensify. And I fear the intensification of judgment. The world doesn't fall apart in a day. It's like the proverbial boiling of a frog. You can put a frog in a pot of water, I've been told. I've never tried it don't even have a bone in my body that wants to try it. But you can bring it to a boil and he'll die. But you drop him into hot water, he'll jump out. The world doesn't fall apart in a day. That's the reason we interceded like we did. I give you a little table here just so you can see because remember I told you these things kind of all are sequential. The seven seals, the final conflict, you'll go back, you'll remember them if you've been through the series. G, the seventh one, the seventh seal is the seventh trumpet. So you go over to the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet, which we've long passed, but we've been in this huge interlude I told you about. We will study the 144,000, the mark of the beast. The seventh trumpet is the seven bowls. We're going to look at those seven bowls next Sunday night. And if you'll look at that, does that remind you of anything? In the third column there? Put, oh, that's right. We can't put the... the uh, presentation software won't handle my tables. Do those look like the plagues that came upon Egypt in that third column there? We're going to look at why that's there. So here's your growth work. Number one, live as an overcomer. 
Live as an overcomer. Don't settle for being defeated, but trust God's methods and timing. Are the scriptures in there? Because I've gone so long, let me just quickly. Are the scriptures in there for each of these points? Okay. Number two, praise God in advance for his deliverance. Praise God in advance for his deliverance. They were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O kings of the nation. If you'll go back to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 44, I believe, and if you go back to Exodus 15, and I'm going from memory here, so I could be wrong, you'll read about the song of Moses. Here's something interesting. Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. So when the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, was translated into Greek, which was the translation that was being used at the time of Jesus, it was translated, the Septuagint was translated into Greek. So when they read it, it was, and in Deuteronomy 32 and Exodus 15, if I'm correct on my memory there, they read it, Moses and Jesus, Moses and Jesus. It was almost prophetic of what you read right here. In the book. Isn't that cool? Moses and Jesus taught, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Moses and Jesus in the, in the Septuagint. But in the Hebrew it's Joshua. Moses and Jesus taught, I think that's just so cool. It's just so prophetic. Think and reason biblically. You look at what the church is doing. They're not stocking up on arms and guns. That's not our call. That's the calls of the governments, the call of the governments. We are human, but we don't wage wars humans do. We use God's mighty weapons. Pray always. And I showed you those, those bowls are symbolic also of the prayers of the saints. Live full of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about this on Sunday morning. I made a statement. I think this is how I said it Sunday morning. When it comes to habits... If you want to compare that to the sinful nature and our new nature, Paul talks about that wrestling that goes on. My new nature is the dominant nature. But that sinful nature, that flesh that the King James Version, the self-will that the modern translations help us to understand that word is, that, that it's less dominant, it's defeated, but it's still there. If I don't pray, I'll fall back into a prayerless way of life. If I don't share my faith, I'll fall back into a quiet way of Christ, uh, following Christ. If I don't love him with all my heart, I'll start loving myself the way I used to. That's what he means here when he says the sinful nature wants to do evil. Those old habits, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. What does the Spirit want? Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And then finally, be a witness. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners... Keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Friends, I can't tell you how important your witness is right now. I have only skimmed the surface. This chapter is so important, but it's important that we keep moving along in this book. If you've got questions about this chapter, it's only eight verses. I'd love to talk to you about it at the service. But Stan, let me pray with you because it's almost 8.20. That's as long as I've ever preached on a Wednesday night. And I apologize, but I hope you've tracked with me. Jesus, I love you so much. I thank you. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this message. And I thank you that if I can send the congregation home with one word from you tonight is to worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then you will fulfill all of the law and all the commandments. So God, send us home with this thought in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. I'll be around if you want to talk some about this.